Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Cujo Virgil, and I'm very, very excited for our guest today. Our guest today is Jock Bazinet. Now, Jock is the president and chief operating officer of Talus Holdings based in Arizona. He specializes in multifamily land acquisitions, entitlements, construction management, and other facets of business development and leadership. And Jacques is a results-focused executive leader with an extensive amount of experience delivering exceptional business results and ROI within high-profile dynamic organizations. Jacques, thanks so much for being a guest on our show today. Yeah, Nick, it's a total pleasure. I guess my uh, my history is a little bit of a tongue twister. I guess we should just call me Jacques. <laughs> well, I'm sure people are really, really going to get familiar with you today. Before we jump into your expertise in the world of real estate development, I mean, give us quick backstory on who you are and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I'll try to be real brief. Not not, not very difficult. I mean, as a child, I had uh, significant learning disabilities. I had candida, dyslexia, hyperactivity, you know, couldn't read or write when I was 12. So everybody's wondering if I was ever going to make it. And then uh, my father was in hospitality, hotels, restaurants, banquet facilities. So I spent a lot of time with him learning operations. Um, and then when I was in my late 20s, I realized that, um, you know, I, I can't do hospitality because I want to be a dad. And uh, I find that uh, hospitality was not creating a venue for fatherhood because you, you work seven days a week and holidays, weekends, you know, you you get sick, you take three days off because you were sick and you take an extra day off because you just got <laughs> so much work to do. And then and then you go back to work for another three, four months until you get sick again. So I, I wanted to leave that. So I went into uh, training and development. I met uh, Stephen R. Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and that was just uh, just a total blessing, uh, just humbling. Uh, I ultimately became the director of the office of Stephen R. Covey, spent a few decades there. And then while I was in training and development, uh, I started investing in multifamily real estate. And uh, every year, uh, my investments did well. I, I, was, I was blessed. And uh, after a while, I'm like, well, you know, Franklin Covey, at a certain point, we had, you know, 1,600 employees. I would spend... You know, the afternoon with HR talking about, you know, situations, issues, concerns, you know, grievances. My investments in uh, multifamily uh, would always uh, generate more EBITDA than uh, the work I was doing in training and development. We had, you know, made a major brain damage. So I said, well, you know, why why wouldn't I just leave training and development and uh, spend full time in real estate? And uh, I made the full time shift about eight years ago. And, um, uh, we've done you know quite well since then. I think that Talus has achieved things that it never achieved before in his thirty-year history in the last you know eight to nine years. So it's been great. John uh, McWilliams, the founder, he's a visionary. He's you know, he's just people want to hang out with him just because he's so brilliant. And, and I'm blessed to be his partner. We started doing multifamily, and I, I just have a deep passion and desire to help people. I mean, it's, it's not something that I work at. It's it just, it's just me. That's a, I, I don't, I don't work at it. I just love doing it. So when we, when we started uh, full time, we became the only multifamily developer that I know of 
that offers training and coaching as an amenity on site. So as you sign a lease with us, uh, we give you a blank check. And on that blank check, we want you to write uh, what your life goal is this year, what you want to accomplish. And you might have just gotten married. I don't know if you know people getting, that are getting married soon, but I'm sure Danielle is aware that you're getting married soon. Nonetheless, you might have just gotten married or you might you might have married into a family where there's you know existing kids, so you're going to be a father to blended children or you might want to improve your career or you want to, you know, make more money or, you know, you might be like a guy in one of our properties in Fort Worth who wants to get away, get over his fear of water uh, and learn to swim. So we don't care what the goal is. Just, you know, tell us what it is. And then we assign a life coach to you. Uh, and then during the year that you are living on our property, uh, we will help you accomplish that goal through our life coaching program. And our life coaches also run our Wednesday night events, our Friday events, our Saturday events. Uh, and that really creates a community. So you're not having an event that's sponsored by, you know, a sales agent that's looking to get a few pictures on, you know, on uh, Facebook uh, to get, you know, traction for the property. You're, you're, you're having an event that's sponsored by somebody who's, you know, curated content just for the people that are attending and making it uh, very impactful. So we basically we build communities of people that are uh, working on lifelong, le- lifelong learning and trying to become better people. So. In a nutshell, that's how we got to where we're at. That's a fantastic. That's a fantastic story in particular with your uh, affinity for just helping people. I think there's so much bad, you know, rep when it comes to real estate and developers and investors. And a lot of people who are not in the industry think that, oh, we're just out for the money. But you have a different profile, right? You actually care about your community. You want to help people, you know, ascend in life. And it's just a different touch that you really don't see a real estate developer to have, right? Was it something that you were, that was instilled in you as a child? Like, where did that come from? I think that growing up in the service industry, my father uh, opened up uh, several McDonald's restaurants, Ray Kroc in Eastern Canada. I mean, I guess uh, the rest of the country was uh, serving hamburgers and Coke and Quebec was uh, hot dogs and Pepsi. So uh, Ray tapped my father on the shoulder and said, hey, can you help me develop and in Quebec. So he went from restaurant opening to restaurant opening. So at 12, I, I couldn't read or write. I had significant learning disabilities, but uh, I would go from restaurant opening to restaurant opening and serve people. I think that kind of is where it all started for me to have a service mentality and just a, a, a real passion to anticipate and uh, serve people's needs. That's amazing. So I want to dive into your, your background and how you transition into the world of real estate from training and development to, to real estate development. That seems like a very stark difference in terms of just uh, your aptitude of knowledge in those different spaces and maybe just the networks as well that would help you do your developments. So how were you able to make that transition? Did you like find a mentor? Did you part was your partner kind of like the leader? Did he have all the experience? I'd love to know, like, how did you make that that shift to go full time? Yeah. So first of all, all of my investments uh, were with Talus Holdings, and that's uh, my best friend, John McWilliams, who's the founder of Talus, uh, who's a self-made individual who uh, started Talus on his own uh, just because uh, he had a passion and desire to do it. So um, I was fortunate to uh, to be his friend, and I was fortunate to uh, have him invite me to uh, to be his partner. Uh, so that, you know, without that, that wouldn't have happened. However, I would say that you know, when I was working with Stephen, we would we'd spend the week. You know, we'd, we'd meet with four to five Fortune 100 companies a week, and you know, we'd help them with their issues, and we'd find out that really, in the end, 
the most powerful way to make progress is to be a seeker. You know, when there's a problem that occurs, if you think you know the answer, uh, that might impede you from actually finding what's really going to work. So if you're if you're reducing gun violence in Aurora, Illinois, or if you're reducing uh, spousal abuse in Jacksonville, Florida, if you're if you're helping the military reduce uh, gun violence and uh, divorce and suicide post deployment, uh, you got to attack these issues not knowing the answer. You and you got to be fine with that. You got to say, hey, we're just going to get a whole bunch of people in the room and we're going to roll up our sleeves and figure it out. And it's getting to the front lines and, and getting to the people who have the best understanding of it that we're going to solve this problem. It's not. It's not by coming to the table thinking that you know it. And when you bring that methodology to any uh, organization, be it a marriage, a family, uh, or uh, you know, working with a city, or uh, working with your architect, or working with investors, or working with a bank, uh, that would it works. You know, so uh, we have a project in uh, Mesa, Arizona. Mesa, I, I don't know why, but they're known as a place that is very difficult to get multifamily entitlements, and uh, we rolled up our sleeves and met with them and actually uh, somebody at the city, a very senior person at the city during our first meeting said, you know, I have one role and one role only. And that's to make sure that no multifamily gets approved in Mesa. <laughs> I was like, okay, that sounds good. I mean, it sounds like we're going to have some fun here. And I said, well, you know, why? Help me understand why. Too big, too much people, poor design. Well, I, great. I said, well, what would you design? I mean, what, what would you build if it was you and, you know, it's your city. So what would you see? And she goes, well, you know, I'd like something real urban and good density. I'd like some height. You know, we have beautiful mountains. I'd like to have some sky decks. I'd like to have, you know, tuck under garages. And I'm like, you know what? I, I said, I have an architect, you know, if you want. I mean, tell me what you're thinking. And I could, I could start designing it and I can come back and see if this is what you're thinking. So we did over a period of two months, we designed what she was thinking. And I said, you know, I said, my architect as we were, working uh, to get this done was saying, you know, this will never get approved. It's too high. Uh, the parking density is too tight. Uh, these tuck under garages are going to cause some fire lane issues. And I said, you know, let's just, let's just give her what she wants. You know, let's, let's, let's build it. Uh, at least on paper. Uh, and we did. And uh, over a period of two, three months, she said, yeah, this is it. And this is, this is fantastic. This is exactly what I would build. I said, great. I said, well, what do you want to do next? And I said, I, I'd build it. I, w I would get the equity and I'd get the debt and I'd get the general contractor and the civil engineer and the interior designer and the landscaper, everything you need, I have. So if you want to build this, I could do it. She goes, well, let's do it. I said, well, the first thing we're going to have to do is get it permitted. And this will never <laughs> get through permits. She said, well, why not? I said, well, you know, the height and the sky decks and the parking density. She goes, well, let's, let's do it. So we rolled up our sleeves and in a period of uh, two and a half, three months, we got it all approved. Uh, so we are building the first true e-urban multifamily project in Mesa, Arizona right now called the One at Mountain Vista. But that comes from, you know, true collaboration. Uh, that comes from not knowing the answer when you sit at the table and to really, you know, bring people's ideas. We did the same thing in Avondale. Uh, Avondale uh, right now has a moratorium on zoning for multifamily. And uh, we did the same thing. We went to see the city and the issue was a little different there. There, there. At the time, there was so many people going for entitlements that they couldn't, just from a pace perspective, they couldn't handle the demand. Uh, and I met with the city manager and I said, how do you do it? How could you, uh, how, how do you manage all this stuff and how can I help? You know, I'm noticing that other cities are taking your staff and it's hard and you're dealing with a lot of work. And as a developer, how can I help you? And he said, oh, it's just, you know, if you could help us, you know, make sure that your plans come in this way and 
electronically and can you layer them and can you do so we was great i'd love to do that but i said you know it must be difficult for you because there's a lot of people who are coming in for entitlements that aren't planning on building the project they're just coming in for entitlements to increase the value of the land and then they put it in the market and then it might or might not sell and the developer who buys it might or might not build what they you know said they were going to build so how do you differentiate people who are coming in from entitlements for people that are you know trying to play a land bank game to people that are actually going to build. He goes, well, I never thought of that. He says, we should find a way to do that. I said, well, I, let me help you. Let, let's figure it out. And we did. And, you know, lo and behold, we got our uh, approvals and um, entitlements in the city of Avondale in uh, four and a half, five months, uh, which is, you know, half the time of what it would take another developer to do it. And uh, everybody asks us how we do it. And I say, you know, just, just have empathy, just serve those around you and they'll have a better appetite to serve you. A lot of developers always build the same thing. So they'll come to a city and they'll say, this is our cookie. Here's what we want. Here's our plans, here are elevations. And then they'll start fighting with the city to, to get their plans approved. I found that that has uh, very little uh, reward uh, to, you know, in our world, speed to market is, is what's important. So if I can get a new plan approved in four and a half, five months, or spend 12 months to get my existing plans approved. Uh, I, I'd much rather, you know, get a new plan approved and get everybody engaged. And uh, if you look at our portfolio of product, I actually think it looks nicer too. I think every city has idiosyncrasies and, you know, you make things that belong to that community. So. Yeah, that's super smart. I think uh, that's one of the things that I think new investors really need to pay attention to and really need to understand that it's there's going to be red tape in any market that you're coming into, um, especially when you're developing anything, quite frankly. But it's important to really focus on serving the, the market and serving the people, right? And not just coming into a market and you're, you're stubborn, you want to do everything by yourself, you have your own plans, you want to do your own thing. But that most of the time isn't necessarily how things how things go about, right? Before we dive into that a little bit more, I want to jump back to what you were saying originally about seeking the knowledge, right? How does one seek that knowledge in a space where there's so much false information as to what knowledge you should be seeking for you to to, to actually get to to the end goal? Like, talk talk about that a little bit. I think I've heard you on a separate podcast, you know, expound on that in a way that is somewhat of like a fifty percent rule that that you have by chance. Can you talk about that in, in detail? Well, I, I, you must have listened to a podcast that was uh, recorded by five six years ago, pre COVID, because uh, that rule's but that rule's been updated. But yeah, we we find that uh, we used to find that fifty uh, percent of what we hear is not true, and that's not because people are lying. It's because you know they're ignorant, uh, or they're spinners, or they're promoters, or uh, they're misinformed, or they're incompetent. Uh, and, and some people are lying. So in, in the end, you know, 50% of what you hear is, is not true. But what we found post-COVID is the weirdest time to be doing business. Uh, we now call it the 98% rule. So we're really looking for 2% of truth. And uh, once you find it, it's empowering. You, you, you make great progress once you, once you know truth. And once you know truth, you're able to distinguish, you know, truth from, from falsehood as well. And you, 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 you get it in people. You could spend time with someone. You could say, hey, you know, this guy is a great individual and great potential, but I, I wouldn't do business with him today because he doesn't have the experience that we need to get it done. You know, I mean, it's so interesting when you ask somebody a question in any walk of life, simple is helpful. You know, someone who uh, answers a question with, my gosh, you know, like a, 
three page dissertation, it's like, okay, great. You know, this is somebody who, you know, might need to hear themselves speak or might need to, you know, but if somebody just says, yeah, here's what's up. I mean, I was up at a property just a couple of weeks ago. It was rather interesting. We were putting up, a, we're exploring with um, alternative energy. So we're putting up windmills and uh, solar and batteries and generators. And I had a local excavator up there. His name is Kevin. Love the guy. And um, we had a, a windmill expert uh, who went, brought this windmill in. And the windmill has to go on top of the hill, and we're you know, renting the excavator from Kevin to do it. And these high-tech engineers are all at the bottom of the hill trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to get the truck up there and get the track hoe up there? And does the track hoe go up first, or do we send the truck up? Do we send the truck up straight, or do we... Do we back the truck up and how, how do we do it all? You know, they're all kind of working it all through. And I'm just watching Kevin, you know, to assess the whole situation. And when they're all done and he's respectful, he's listening to them and he's listening to all the strategies. And they finally ask him, they say, Kevin, you know, we're thinking of backing up. We're thinking of sending the backhoe up first and backing up the truck. And then, and then you lifting the, the windmill off the truck and then we'll pull the truck down and then you can kind of navigate up there. And Kevin just very calmly looked at them and said, yeah, that's, that's possible. We could do that. Uh, but he says another option is we could just pick it up right here on the backhoe and I could bring it up with the backhoe and then all we'll have up there is the backhoe and the windmill and I could just direct it right away without having to move all this stuff around. And uh, they were like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a no-brainer. That's, that, that, that would be how it works. And, and, and that's how you know that someone's competent. You know, you know that the, that's truth. That, 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 that's how you do it. Uh, and it takes you a lot of time to find that 2% of truth. But uh, once you do, it's very much empowering. The truth will set you free, as they say, all the time. So jumping back to your Arizona deal, um, you know, you guys are doing developments in, in Arizona. Is that kind of like your primary market? Like what's so special about Arizona in particular? So Talus has worked in the southeast and southwestern United States. So we've had projects in uh, Atlanta, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, uh, you know, We've gone everywhere. There was a time where our number one lead source uh, was uh, B4, HUD B4 loan. So, you know, HUD would call us. We were a HUD preferred developer. HUD would call us and say, hey, we've got a developer that's not going to be able to make it over the finish line. Can you step in? So, so we'd step in. So we have projects a little everywhere. We're in an interesting time right now. Uh, this uh, current cycle was about three to four years late from our perspective. So we were getting ready for it. We've been through three downturns before. So this is not – you make great money during a downturn. So we have – as long as you're willing to roll up your sleeves here, you, you get the work done. But in, a, in this market, you want to be working in a top five city in the nation. So you want to be in a, in a top five market. And you want to have a AAA location within that market. And you want to be building something inexpensive. So you want to be building class A, but you don't want to be building a podium or a rack. You want to be building three-story, four-story surface park. So we have, over the last five years, uh, developed a... a a pipeline of seven deals that meet that criteria. We do two or three deals a year, so we're not very big. Um, so we, we've built a pipeline to be able to sustain us over the next three to four years of uh, top five market, AAA site, uh, three-story, four-story walk-up surface park. The difference in the cost between the, the podium structures versus the, the four-story walk-up, can you kind of dive into that a little bit as to, you know, the, the cost difference and why, you know, the four-story stick-build properties would be a little bit more affordable? than, you know, your podium properties from a development cost perspective? You no, know, it, it, uh, it certainly is more affordable because it's easier to build and it takes less time. And in this market, you want to be able to go from breaking ground to leasing up 
uh, within uh, 32 months. Uh, so if, if you are building a podium, you'll, you won't make that deadline. And if you're building a, uh, a wrap, you won't make that deadline. So we want to be in and out real quick uh, and be stabilized in this market, uh, in a you know top five market in a AAA location. So that's what gets you through a recession. I want to double with this question here. You know, there's a lot of talk in the multifamily space about when the recession happens, you know, your class A goes to class B and your class B goes to class C. And then, you know, all you want to be really be is in class C, you know, multifamily apartments. I personally don't believe in that, but I'd love to get your take as to why, you know, class A in the middle of a recession, you know, we're not technically in a recession by, you know, formal, you know, definition standards, but if we were to jump into some, you know, downside within the economy, you know, what's your take on why Class A multifamily is an attractive investment to be in? I believe Class A has, you know, the highest revenue renters, uh, the most educated renters, uh, and the ones that have the highest ability to wither a recession. So uh, I would very much appreciate having them in my buildings uh, as we uh, go through a recession. They're more educated, and they have, you know, they're, they're engineers, they're, they're doctors, they're uh, airplane pilots, you know. So uh, those sorts of individuals uh, seem to, you know, they they, they 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 have a better financial portfolio than uh, people who would, you know, be living in, in, a, in a B or C product or a C minor. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think that's one of the the biggest. Uh misleading factors for people that are in the multifamily space or trying to get into the multifamily space is that they think that C-class apartments is the the best, you know, multifamily product to be in that, you know, is the best product that will help you kind of navigate through the cycles. But I think that the answer to that that question really comes down to the quality of your tenant base, right? If your tenants are, you know, are, are, you know, they can't pay the rent. If they have bad, you know, collections history on your property, if you don't have a high quality tenant base, then you can't get the revenue in and you can't pay your debt. Right. So I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, misleaders in this space. I'm not sure who came up with that, but, you know, I appreciate your insight. Let me share another perspective with you. So in Arizona right now, we've uh, 21, we had uh, a 24% increase in rents. And then in 22, uh, we had a 30% increase in rent. So one might say, well, gosh, you know, rents have gone up by, you know, 40, 30, 52% in two years. I mean, how, how could that be? I mean, that, 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 that's impossible. Uh, you can't maintain it. Well, I mean, let, let's think that through again with the same conversation we've been having about, you know, Class A. So in Arizona, historically, when someone pays rent to their apartment, uh, it used to be uh, 24 to 25% of their annual income so that they would pay towards rent. In other markets like Los Angeles or uh, New York or Chicago, uh, they're paying 50% of their salary to uh, rents. So there was room to for people who are moving in from California and, and, and uh, New York and other areas to Phoenix, which is a huge influx of people in Phoenix. You know, for them, I mean, to, it was a huge discount them and they were ready to pay more and that's why the rents increased so then you might say well okay well now that rents have increased by you know 50 percent where are you at well during the same period of time in class a multifamily, uh, because we're increasing the workforce and we're having a more educated workforce in chip plants in pharmaceutical salaries increased by 30 percent in the top tier of individuals in arizona so 
we didn't really move in class A. You know, although we had 50% increase in rents in two years, the salary of those individuals that are living in those apartments also went up significantly during that period of time, uh, which might not be the case in a C or B property, uh, but it is in an A property. So I feel good about class A uh, and I've experienced goodness in class A. So I, I um, that's the way I see it, at least uh, from my perspective. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think that's really at the end of the day who you want to be in your apartments, right? You know, folks that have the high paying jobs, the ones that have the more stable incomes as opposed to, you know, a tenant base that has, you know, uh, incomes that are susceptible to economic swings and, you know, which ultimately impacts your your bottom line. And if you can't get the revenue and you can't pay your investors, right? So I think that is something that needs to be, uh, quite frankly, abolished in the multifamily space of this mindset of, uh, well, you know, as long as I'm in, you know, I'm investing in C-class assets, then, you know, I'll be fine, you know, if things turn. So I really appreciate your your insight on that. Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning 0% return, and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash Passive Guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N Acquisitions.com slash Passive Guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. So as you're investing in these developments, you know, what does your capital stock look like? Are you guys, you know, funding it with your own money? Are you raising private capital from retail capital, you know, institutional capital, you know, maybe walk through your, the capital stack on, let's let's say the, the Arizona deal, the one at Vista, Mountain Vista. Yeah. So you know, Talus has been very, very fortunate to be a very well capitalized organization. So we own some of our land and we, we pay all of our pre-development costs, you know, so but by the time you get a project like the one at Mountain Vista ready to close, you know, on their construction loan and, you know, the full capital stack. We, we've probably spent about $1.2, $1.4 million, you know, of pre-development dollars. So Talus is very well capitalized and able to do that, but we don't, we don't see ourselves as a capital partner. We see us as a, ourselves as a developer. So we, we usually do a 95-5 structure. So it means that we put, we bring in 5% of the capital and we have an equity partner bring in 95% of the capital. But we've been doing it for 30 years. So we have uh, a lot of uh, debt that, you know, we've built trust in with over the years, you know. So uh, Acor, Paraguay, Bow, Post, Bank of the Ozarks, you know, the who's who is, is, is who we've worked with in the past. So we're able to leverage our products to 80, 83%. So uh, 83% of our projects are usually debt. And then the balance uh, of the 17% is usually equity, 5% of which would come from us and 95% of which would come from our partners. Now, who do we deal with? We found that uh, to find debt, uh, we can't uh, work with uh, institutions. It feels like uh, institutions find that uh, they are king and uh, that the developer doesn't really play much of a role and uh, their structures uh, kind of show it. So if I do a deal with an institution and um, you know, we find off-market deals, my partner, John, lives in Arizona, so we plays golf with all the agents. So, you know, we, we pay 
And the one in Mountain Vista, we paid $5 million for that piece of land. And I'm entitled. And we got it entitled with the city of Mesa. And we got it uh, permitted. We got the uh, design review got all accepted. So we paid $5 million for that piece of land. And uh, before we you know, put the shovel in the ground and started building it, we were getting offers at $28 million. So an equity partner that comes in and is able to, you know, the day we break ground, have that equity uh, is, you know, pretty happy. So in, um, in Mesa, we have the Quaker Oats family who's uh, working with us there, uh, 95.5. Uh, we pay them a pref, uh, and then we split the proceeds 50-50. So that's the kind of structure we want. And an institution won't do that. An institution is going to put you on a waterfall. Uh, they are trying to prevent themselves from working with a bad developer by creating a waterfall that kind of they think protects them from that. Well, the best way to not work with a bad developer is to not work with a bad developer. A waterfall is not going to save you. So uh, we work with very large family offices that have a good culture uh, that uh, we're able to be collaborative with. Or we also work with small to mid-sized family offices that have a strong underwriting process that are able to underwrite your project and are able to deploy capital. And they usually partner with another family office that isn't you know, as good with underwriting. So they'll, they'll bring in maybe 70% of the capital and they usually pair up with another family office to put in the last 30. Uh, but large family offices or mid-sized family offices that have a great culture. Some very large family offices are institutions. I mean, they, they hire you know, all the staff from the institutions and their underwriters and they run the same play that an institution would. So we can't work with them. But there are some large family offices that have a great culture that we enjoy working with, Quaker Oats being one of them. So that's usually where, how our capital stack works. And uh, on the debt to get to 83%, uh, we could do, you know, ACOR or principal or others. We could do a participatory loan with them and, and get us to 83 Or we could do, you know, a 55 60% uh, construction loan and then bring in a MES lender to get, to get us from 65 to 83 uh, so that's usually how we structure. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Jock, uh, this was an amazing conversation. If our audience wants to follow you, what's the best way for our audience to connect with you? Is it through you directly on LinkedIn or your website? You know, I, I probably check LinkedIn once a week. So if, if they want to reach out to me, I don't know how many Jock Bazinets there's out there, but my assumption is there's not many. So you probably find me pretty easy on LinkedIn. And if you do, uh, you know, when you reach out to me on LinkedIn, give me your email address so that, you know, really quickly we could graduate the email because that's how I communicate better. Uh, we also have a website at talisres.com where they can see, you know, our current pipeline and past projects that we've worked with. Um, and uh, we'd love to, you know, help or assist anybody who's uh, in the journey trying to get some projects done. I've, uh, you know, we've gathered some experience over the years and I don't see it as my own. I see that all the experience that we've gathered is, is a gift and uh, I'm here to re-gift it. So uh, anybody who needs some help, I'd love to assist in any way I can. Fantastic. Shock, this was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show. We talked about your background, how you got into real estate development, you know, how you're seeing class A multifamily, all the things that I think people who are interested in getting into development or maybe are currently in development, but are also looking for some pointers here and there. I think you provided a ton of value today. So thank you for being a guest on our show. Thank you to all of our listeners out there for tuning in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Let's take action. Be great today. And remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. So run your own race. 
Thanks again, John. Much appreciated, Yannick. Thank you so much. And uh, congratulations on your recent That's uh, exciting news for you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.